Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. We've been considering the Beatitudes, Jesus's take on the good life, what the good life is, his big manifesto, his famous sermon on the Mount, beginning with eight Beatitudes, eight characteristics of what it means to truly flourish as a human being. And today we're going to look at the fourth Beatitude, which is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Have you noticed this? We're always looking for something. We're always longing for something. We're always wanting to be satisfied. And as Mick Jagger sang, sometimes we can't get it. But we're, but we're always looking to be filled up in some way. And quite often, most of the time, we don't even know what we're looking for what we really want. But there's always this sense in us of learn, of yearning, of longing, of feeling incomplete, of feeling frustrated, whether for good reasons or poor reasons, always feeling like we're lacking in some way. Have you noticed this? Have you felt this? I think that some of the most powerful people in the world, the, the most wealthiest, the most accomplished, the most gifted and talented people are proof of this never-ending yearning for satisfaction in us because many of them are never satisfied. Though they've reached the highest levels of, of human achievement, they're not satisfied. They still wrestle with feeling empty. A few hundred years ago, in 1805, Meriwether Lewis on his 31st birthday, entered some thoughts into his journal. He and Captain Clark were basically that day's version of American astronauts. They were doing things. They were so equipped and educated and trained. Uh, they were like today's astronauts. They were doing things. They were in the middle of an expedition uh, in which they were doing things and had done things and were about to do things that nobody in America at the time that very few people in the world had ever done before. 
That's what Mary Weather Lewis had accomplished. And on his 31st birthday, amongst the things that he recorded, he, he wrote down these words, I reflected that I had as yet done but little, very little indeed, to further the happiness of the human race or to advance the information of the succeeding generation. And he wrote on, I resolved in future to redouble my exertions or in future to live for mankind as I have heretofore lived for myself. Many decades later, he would take his own life. A man who achieved more than almost any human being in his society and the world had achieved during his lifetime, and he never felt satisfied. A lot of people, a lot of people miss the greatest treasures and achievements. The greatest things evade most people because the greatest things are often not what they seem. Kind of like oil is called black gold. It's greasy and dark and ugly, and you don't want to get it on yourself, but if you find it, you are going to be very rich. Well, the commentator on the Beatitudes, Jonathan Pennington, puts the Beatitudes in this light. He says, when we drill down even further into the Beatitudes, we find a rich reservoir of black gold. It is divine gold of priceless worth, but it appears to be only darkness. And herein lies the genius of the Beatitudes. They look like something that the world doesn't want. But as we explore what Jesus means by them, we discover the greatest satisfaction possible. And I think what you're going to see today from the fourth beatitude is that only those who desire what God offers will be satisfied. And what I want to talk to you about today is the righteousness of God that the Bible talks about. I want to talk to you about three things, what righteousness is, what hungering and thirsting for righteousness is, and what being satisfied by righteousness is. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness, what it means to thirst after righteousness and hunger after righteousness, and finally, what it means to be satisfied by righteousness. Now, righteousness in the Bible is a pretty big word. It's a pretty big topic. It's probably the central theme in the biblical story. But the preacher and the commentator John Stott years ago said that if, if you summarize what righteousness means throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you can boil it down to three basic senses of the word. There are three biblical senses to the meaning of righteousness. We can understand righteousness in a legal sense, in a moral sense, and in a social sense, John Stott said. And so I'm just going to explain a little bit of that today. First of all, righteousness is understood in a legal sense as justification. That's a big word. And it basically means this, God's declaration of a sinner's right status before him. For instance, Genesis 15 tells us that Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. 
Or in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. I'm going to summarize it because it's too long to quote for today. The righteousness of God has been manifested through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. So righteousness is being justified. It is being declared by a holy God right in good relationship with him, even though you're a sinner and can't be in his presence on your own merit. But in scripture, righteousness also in a moral sense means holiness. Righteousness is holiness. Now this is your own pursuit of living rightly before God. So he declares you righteous through your faith, but now your pursuit of living as right before God, that's holiness. For instance, in Psalm 119, and we hear these words, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or again, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, said to Christians, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and per- and perfect. Righteousness is being declared as being right in God's eyes, but righteousness is, always, is also living rightly in God's eyes. But finally, in a social sense, righteousness in the Bible means justice. For instance, Job, who suffered greatly, although he was considered a righteous man, said this to his friends, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. Or again, the apostle Paul to the Galatians in Galatians chapter six, encouraged them as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So summarizing all of that, righteousness in its three senses, legal, moral, and social, justification, holiness, and justice, righteousness is this. It is God's gift to us by faith in his grace. It is God's ongoing work in us, and it is God's ongoing work through us. And that's the Christian life. The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that righteousness is basically the highest thing for a person to pursue and desire and seek. The ancient philosopher, 
philosophers were seeking truth and beauty and goodness and virtue. And Jesus is saying, seek above all else righteousness. That's the good life, the life that seeks after righteousness in all of these senses, God's gift to you, God's work in you, and God's work through you is righteousness. Have you noticed, if you've been following us, following with us for the last few weeks, by the time we get to the fourth beatitude, have you been noticing a progression here? Jesus, on purpose, is sequentially adding one beatitude on to another. Think about it. Because of their spiritual poverty, which was the first beatitude, and because of their grief and mourning, which was the second beatitude, and because life's struggles have brought them humility, a gentle spirit, the third beatitude, some people crave what truly fills and nourishes because they have been brought low, because they know that they are spiritually bankrupt, because they look at themselves and they look at the world and they grieve over what is not right, because of all these, these things, they are truly hungry and they seek out the only thing that can satisfy, righteousness. That's why they are blessed, Jesus says. That's why they are flourishing, because God gives it to them. He puts his righteousness in them he works his righteousness in them as they grow and mature and flourish. And through them, he brings his righteousness to their neighbors and to the world. So that biblically is what righteousness is all about. But what does it mean to hunger and thirst after it? How do you hunger and thirst for righteousness according to these principles? How do you hunger and thirst for justification and holiness and justice? So to hunger and thirst after something, the words Jesus was using and how he meant it to the people originally listening to him, to hunger and thirst is to pursue without relenting what is most precious to you. It's seeking something relentlessly until you have it. Now, most of us in this first world cannot relate to people who are literally hungry and thirsty to the point of death. Some of the people, if you read back at the end of Matthew chapter 4, the crowds, the great crowds who were following Jesus from everywhere, the sick, the lame, the demon-possessed, the afflicted, some of them would have known what it meant to hunger and thirst for biological life. But think of it this way. If you can't relate to hungering and hung, literal, literal hunger and thirst, relate to it this way. Most of, us, most of us can think about putting that one precious toy or thing on our Christmas list. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, we just think about it. We meditate about what life's going to be like when we get that toy, the best toy ever. And we wait and we wait and we wait. We don't forget about it. Just because we don't have it doesn't mean we don't forget about it. We think about it all the time, every day until Christmas comes. We hunger and thirst for it. It's like wanting to be with the person you love, but you're far away because it's summer break from college and they live 350 miles away from you and it's not the 21st century, so you can't do FaceTime and texting and things like that. And you have to, it was called writing people letters. 
And when I was in college, it was called typing people emails, thinking about them every day, even though you were apart, praying for them daily, even though you were apart, you long, you hunger and thirst for that person until finally you see them again face to face. And you're not satisfied until that face-to-face thing becomes a permanent daily reality. That's hungry and thirsting. It's like setting your mind on a career path, your dream job, or maybe where you work, the best position that you've got your eyes on. Setting your mind on that position, on that career path, and you do everything you can for years and years to attain it. You're always thinking about it, moving towards it. You will go to an institution of higher learning and go into debt in order to earn a degree to get you that position. You will even go beyond your education that you've earned. You will go to other classes and seminars and you will get certified in something so that you can further pursue that position. You'll endure internships, maybe even fellowships. You will do on-the-job training. You will get your certificate as a master, whatever it is. In order to achieve that position, you won't stop until you get it or until you're forced to stop by somebody else or by poor health. But Jesus says, okay, blessed are those who have that mindset for righteousness. And these are the tests, I think, of whether a person is pursuing righteousness or not. You may be a Christian. You may not be a Christian. We're all pursuing some higher sense of what we should be like And the the proof of that, even if you're not religious, is you judge other people for not living up to your standards of what people should be like. So we're all searching for some kind of sense of righteousness, however we define the term. But here are the tests of whether someone is pursuing the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. Let's just use these, these, these words again. Let's think about justification and holiness and justice. Those who pursue the righteousness that Jesus is talking about as a habit are grateful for their justification. Knowing that they are spiritually poor and bankrupt, they thank God for the gift of his righteousness, seeing them as right before his eyes because they trust in his son Jesus and not in themselves. As a habit, they are grateful for God's gift of righteousness to them. And that gratefulness, it pours out in many ways. They want to come to worship so that they can be reminded of God's great gift. They put worship into their schedule and they make it a priority because they want to be reminded. They want to keep being thankful for God's great gift. And they have a prayer life because they want to keep telling God how thankful they are for his precious gift to them. And they even talk to others, whether they want to hear it or not. (laughs) They talk to others about this amazing gift that they've been given. Habitually, they also aim towards holiness. The great apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, talked about this. He, he, he compared himself to an athlete that's always straining to reach a prize, to reach a goal. Those who are seeking true righteousness, they aim toward holiness. This holiness is that they want to please God 
more and more. They love him, they're grateful for his gift, and so they want to please him more and more. And, and it's kind of like they're on the team now. If you think of them as athletes, they're on the team. They don't have to prove themselves anymore. They're on the team. But because they're on the team, they're always trying to improve. They're not trying to prove themselves, they're trying to improve because they want to please their God. And so uh, the relationships that they're in, the people that they're around, the input they park themselves next to, the rivers they plant themselves by, as one of the Psalms put it, are always helping them to improve as they more and more want to please the God that's been so good to them. And as a habit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they extend justice in their lives. They try, as far as it concerns themselves, they try to do right by everyone in their life, even strangers, even people they haven't met, even people they don't like, even people who don't like them and hurt them. Those who extend justice because they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they, they're merciful people. They forgive others who hurt them. They practice forgiveness regularly. Whether people ask for it or not, they have forgiving hearts. And they're also quick to apologize when they've been wrong. They try and make things right. And they seem to regularly put other people's interests and needs above their own. They are servants who sacrifice themselves for the benefit of others. And they always seem to be dissatisfied with the way the world is. I mean in a good way, a healthy dissatisfaction. They always seem to look at the world around them and go, oh, how, how long, oh Lord? How long am I going to be like this? How long are we all going to be like this? Except they're not skeptics. They don't get cynical. They don't, they don't pout and blame everybody around them for how horrible the world is. They act. They put, they put their dissatisfaction into productive action and they do justice. They do right by people because they're so thankful and they love God and they're trying to please him more and more. These, all of these things, is this what your religion looks like? Justification and holiness and justice. God's gift to you, God's work in you, God's work through you, is that what your religion looks like? And if you're not religious, again, is this what your priorities and goals and desires reflect? Ask yourself this. What do I pursue relentlessly? What do I pursue persistently? Or what do I pursue most of the time? Some of you are probably thinking, my kids, I pursue my kids most of the time. I can't seem to get a hold of them. They're running around everywhere and they're always asking me for stuff. I seem to be pursuing my children. And some people think, my health, I cannot get healthy. I am pursuing my health constantly. I cannot get ahead of the wellness curve. And for some of us, that's physical. And for some of us, that's, that's mental health. For some of you, it's friendship. It's that meaningful relationship. I, 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 I am nonstop pursuing a friendship in which I feel like the other person 
really understands me and wants to know me, and I want to know them too. That's what I can't seem to grasp and get a hold of. And all of these things are noble things to desire and seek after, or, or good things, or necessary things. But be careful. Be careful of the common mistake that we've been doing ever since Adam and Eve. The common mistake, the common sin of pursuing happiness instead of righteousness. Listen now. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, make sure you are not hungering and thirsting after blessedness. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Long to be like Christ. And then you will have that and the blessedness. It's easy for us to think that what the world needs most is, and fill in the blank, with your good cause and your invested interest. It's easy to think what the world needs most is, what people need most is to get out of debt, is to get a job and get employed and get educated or get along racially, maritally, socially. What we need most is for everybody to get along. What we, what we need most is to get educated, to get green, to get a spouse, to get sober, to get the next iPhone, whatever. All sorts of, and most of these are very, very, very good pursuits. Most of these reflect the kind of holiness and righteousness that the blessed people pursue. But pursuing these things as the ultimate thing for you, pursuing these things as the ultimate thing that will solve the culture, that will solve the political problem, that will solve fill in the blank, that will make you feel satisfied. In a broken world, folks, all of these pursuits only produce dissatisfaction. We're not going to attain any of these things perfectly. And if they become your ultimate thing, you're always going to be dissatisfied. Another way of saying what Jesus is saying here, to put it negatively, they are not happy who hunger and thirst after happiness. They are not blessed who hunger and thirst after blessedness. And the very, very few who live in the planet who actually feel satisfied most of the time or some of the time because they have found or they have captured or they have taken the good life, they will go eternally hungry. They may feel full for now, but emptiness is sure to follow. True satisfaction is receiving what God alone can give you and what God does promise to give you, his righteousness. I'm going to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones once again. He said, oh, I don't, uh, I, didn't, I didn't put this on a slide. Okay. Well, you see, he wrote this. The Christian, listen to this, the Christian is... One who at one and the same time is hungering and thirsting and yet is filled. So you're hungry and you're satisfied at the same time as a Christian. That's why it's this whole black gold, I don't, I'm not interested in this, and yet it is the true source of wealth and happiness. You're hungering and thirsting and satisfied at the same time. He writes on, and the more the Christian is filled, the more the Christian hungers and thirsts. That is the blessedness of the Christian life. 
There's no qualification at all in Jesus' statement. It is an absolute promise. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And they discover that they are filled already, but that they are going to be filled completely someday. And here's how. God gave his righteousness to the world by sending Jesus his son. God, Jesus in human form, the second person of the Trinity, the son of God as God was right. He, he didn't have to be given righteousness as a gift. He came here as right before God the Father. He was righteousness itself. And yet Jesus Righteous still pursued holiness perfectly, still did justice by everyone perfectly. But God as human chose to know hunger. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, 40 days, nothing to eat before he started his ministry. He knew thirst One of the last things he said on the cross, according to John's gospel, were two simple words, I thirst. This is the one who said, I am living water, now saying on the cross, I thirst. God, as a human being, chose the path of hunger and thirst, pursuing holiness, pursuing righteousness, though he was righteous, he did it so that the justice for our sin which was required by God's perfect righteousness, that justice for your sin would be satisfied. God was looking for satisfaction because the people he created and loved turned away from him. And the only way to bring you back to the Father was for that perfect righteousness as justice to be satisfied because we had all done wrong by God. And Jesus chose to know hunger and thirst to make you right before your creator. And actually the apostle Paul said the way God was satisfied, the way his perfect righteousness and justice and holiness were satisfied was for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And so we discover the very thing that made Martin Luther rejoice because he was petrified of God his whole life. This little monk running around scared to death of sinning, confessing his sins all the time because he was petrified of the righteousness of God, as you should be also. But what Martin Luther discovered was that salvation is God giving you righteousness as a gift. He knows you're not righteous. You'll never be, but he gives you his righteousness as a gift. That's the point of Christianity. That's why it's good news because righteousness becomes, though it was something we could never attain, God's gift to us by faith in the work and death and life of his son, Jesus Christ. No other thing at all. That's what does it. Will you learn to desire What is truly good in the universe? Will you learn to eat and drink the only food and drink that the universe offers to you, to put it in C.S. Lewis's terms? Will you learn to desire what is truly satisfying for you? I'm not going to put this up. I'm just going to read God's words to you through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, 
come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Will you hunger and thirst after that? Will you learn to hunger and thirst after Jesus? The cry of David's soul in Psalm 63 when he sang, Oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Where can I go to see God? Was answered when Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If you've been looking at our materials or our website, you'll notice this little phrase that pops up again and again in print, living water in Westminster. We did that on purpose. Jesus said to the woman at the well, I have a water that if you take it, you'll never go thirsty again. If you take the water that I am willing to give you, it will spring up into streams of eternal life that will ever flow out of your heart. The concept living water in Westminster, I'm going to tell you now why we're here and why, why we do worship here and why we do ministry here. We are inviting each other and we are inviting this community to join us in seeking to discover the depths of Christ's love and to grow in his truth and to bring his hope to our neighbors and to the county into the world, righteousness, holiness, justice, so that you and I and we and they will be satisfied. Only those who desire what, God's, what God offers will be satisfied. So strip away from your religion. Let's strip away from our religion as a church and let's strip away from our personal pursuits whatever doesn't come from God. And let's give thanks for our justification in Jesus. Let's pursue holiness because we want to please him, because we love him for that gift. Let's extend justice to each other in our marriages and in our friendships and in our ministry and churchy relationships. Let's do right by one another and by our neighbors. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us in your Son, Jesus Christ, not only the picture of righteousness, not only the fulfillment of your original plans for humanity, but thank you for giving us in Jesus the actual righteousness we needed to come back to you. Father, we, we disclaim and we reject all, 
all strategies and thoughts and attempts to develop our own righteousness. Father, we are spiritually poor. Father, we mourn because of that. Father, we are trying to learn how to be a humble, gentle people because of that. And now, Father, we ask you, now that we know that we're empty, we ask you to fill us up with good things that we will never lose. We ask that you would give us, if anybody here is in the room and does not feel right with you at all, has never felt right with with you, would you give them the gift of faith to allow them to receive your righteousness as a gift? Father, would you allow us in holiness to pursue righteousness by aiming to please you more, not because we're afraid of you, but because you love us and we want to please you, Daddy. And Father, may we pursue justice, doing right by one another, doing right by those who think little of us or nothing of us. And may your righteousness, may your righteousness flow like many waters and may your justice pour down like a mighty stream. In the name of Christ Jesus, our righteousness. Amen.